Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Hey, what's up, Blazer fans? Welcome to the Blazer's Edge podcast. I am Tara Bowen Biggs, joined once again by Blazer's outsider, Danny Morang. And we are actually face-to-face today, but it's not just us. We have a room full of Blazer's Edge personnel. So let's go around the room and introduce ourselves before we get started. So next to Dan, we have... Cassidy Gamet. And you want to talk about what you do for Blazer's Edge? I am on the What podcast with Tara. Woo! Miles Custis, and I write some game previews and pick up some news items as well. Paul Navarre, uh, who I do kicks on the site. I do previews and uh, run the Facebook site. I'm Steve Dewald. You probably see my name more often than you might like, but I do a little bit of everything, fill in wherever I need, and uh, feature and recap work. George Clooney, and I just sold my tequila company for a billion dollars. <laughs> <laughs> you look just like him. Yeah, I know. <laughs> that must be Dave. <laughs> that is Dave. Well, we're all here tonight because we're, tomorrow night is Blazer's Edge Night at the Moda Center. We're super excited. And thanks to all the listeners who contributed so that 2,200 kids can attend the game tomorrow night. And this is the time once a year where we get together as a staff and just hang out. And, you know, usually it's virtual. This time we're in person. That's why the sound is going to sound a little different than we regularly do. But we have some stuff to talk about with the Blazers. My first question I want to ask everybody is, considering how you were feeling going into this season, do you feel like they... Uh, that this they met expectations, they exceeded expectations, or they have fallen short of this expectations. Let's start with somebody that we have we don't hear from very often. I, I think with, with with how I evaluate the team, I think really what it's going to come down to is going to come down to playoffs. I, I think in the regular season, this is probably right around maybe overachieving a little bit. This is definitely one of the deeper squads that they've had in recent years. Um, but until you know. The results come in the playoffs. I'm not really going to to cast that evaluation from my side. And as a kindness to listeners, we should probably identify our names as we speak. That was the immutable, irreparable Steve Duvall. <laughs> and Miles here. I, I would say that. I mean, it seems like heading into the season, generally the national consensus that would that the Blazers are going to be one of the teams to fall out of the playoffs. So from that perspective, we've definitely exceeded expectations, and you know, I feel. Satisfied with that. And again, like Steve said, the playoffs are going to be a different thing. And if there's another bad first round exit, then it's going to be cast a pall on the whole season again. So, but for now, we'll say exceeds expectations. I mean, realistically, this is the first season they've had anything productive where there wasn't some stupid asterisk, right? Last year, it's uh, teams, everybody's injured or players. Uh, you know, 13 game winning streak, and the year before that, it's Nerd Fever. This is just them playing basketball. They're winning games. Damian Lillard is a legit all NBA caliber player. Right? It matches up with what people have been saying about this team for the last couple of years. They finally delivered on that in the regular season. I mean, it's, it, we, we joke about it, but I, I talked about I picked the team to finish under the Vegas line, not because of their talent, because I just figured they wouldn't be healthy for the first time in two years. And well, since CJ's Pavlidis string, Pavlidis, I don't know, that rolled right off your tongue the first time you said I would just go with that. We'll go with whatever we want to call it. Like, say that, this, this team has been, the, the asterisk, I suppose, is that they've been unbelievably healthy, but they're performing right about what we expected. I mean, and what, to Steve's point, it's it's playoffs or bust. You have to deliver. We're, we're approaching three years since the Blazers have won a playoff game. We're, we're at the point where it matters. So, would you say met or exceeded? I mean, I think they, they've met expectations during the regular season. I mean, they're, they're, there's no asterisks. They're, they've taken care of business. Guys who were supposed to deliver, Nurkic has stepped up. 
Um, Dave has found the love. I mean, that's what it is. Cassidy or Paul? This is Paul. Uh, for me, they've exceeded. Uh, I expected them to be in the mix for a playoff spot. But what I didn't expect was to be at this point in the season and have some optimism about the playoffs. Uh, there's no guarantees. Things could go bad. But uh, uh, just the way things seem to be coming together gives me some hope that we won't have that same feeling that we've had the last few years. And uh, I didn't expect to be in that spot right now. Ah, uh, hope. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, Cassidy? Um, I think definitely from a local perspective, I feel like we're meeting. And then from a national perspective, I definitely feel like we're exceeding. And we're getting more, there's more talk this year than I think that there ever has been on a national level about us, which is nice as a small market team. So I'll take it. (laughs) Right on. What was the, for everybody, what was like the thing that surprised you the most that you've seen so far? I've got two. Lillard has another year, and I did not expect to see that. That just is astounding to me. Uh, the other one is, is Nurkic. Uh, Nurkic has improved so dramatically in the little things that make a difference. Uh, and uh, I was hoping for that, but I was not expecting it. And I'm just so impressed with that. Yeah, I definitely echo those. I mean, I was worried that Nurkic getting a payday or somewhat of a payday would cause him to regress or start to cruise control. Um, so I've been really pleased that he's been taking it up a notch. And one thing that's been kind of a pleasant surprise compared to previous seasons is just the consistency. You know, the previous season, oh, this is Miles again. <laughs> the previous season, I mean, we had that sort of pretty, it's pretty dark by about December and people were worried about, you know, Stotts' future with the team and whatnot. And it took kind of quite a miraculous second half to pull Blazers back in the playoffs. This season, we've just been consistently right in that, you know, six to three range in the West. I, I think with me is the, the mid-season roster flexibility. I mean, coming in, we went through an off-season where you're scraping the bottom of the barrel. You watch Ed Davis go to Brooklyn. You watch Shabazz Napier go to Brooklyn. You, you're you taking a flyer on a guy like Nick Stauskas. You're banking on a guy coming off a, a long injury in Seth Curry. And all of a sudden, you're able to you know flip two of those guys at the bottom of your rotation, Wade Baldwin and Nick Stauskas. You get Rodney Hood, who's a a rotation player, and he's looking at that way. And then with that extra roster spot, you're able to go out and get a marquee buyout guy. Like, that is not something that I foresaw coming out of the summer with how tapped the resources were for Portland. For them to add two legitimate bench pieces was huge and surprising for me. What do you think the odds are <laughs> that this summer, Seth Curry... And I, uh, Rodney Hood and Ennis Cantor all go to Brooklyn. <laughs> God, Brooklyn East is going to look very good. Brooklyn East is going to look very good. We're going to boat you off the island if you kept coming up with it. <laughs> with ideas like that. Well, I, mean, I think the big one for me, and you touched on it, Paul, with the second point, is Nurkic. Um, a lot was made about Nurkic coming out of Denver and just how bad the situation was. I was very hesitant after he got paid to see what he would do, what he plateau, and he's done something. There's not a few people around the league about him in particular in that it's not just skill set development. It's understanding and knowing what he needs to work on, asking that question, having the humility to go to coaches, to go to guys around the league and go, what do I really need to work on? And then address it. This is a guy who has the, the, the grace and and uh, footwork of some of the best bigs in the NBA right now, naturally blessed with. But the top half wasn't matching. The flip shots, the flailing. Now all of a sudden he's finishing left-handed, swooping baby hooks across the paint off and up and under. You're like, oh, 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 okay. Like, that's, for that to just, that switch to flip in an offseason after getting paid, that's not the kind of thing you see often around this league. Cassidy, how about you? I think my next surprise is definitely the cancer thing. I got to agree on that one. I just, I didn't see that happen, happening. And when it happened, I was just so excited to watch everything that has come out of it. And it's been amazing. And I just hope that the surprise next season is his defense. (laughs) (laughs) What a surprise. The surprise next season would be if he's still in what a surprise that would be. I will say, and I don't know if this will be controversial or not, but 
uh, Mo Harkless has come on so strong. And I'm looking at Dan right now because he just hissed at me. He literally just hissed at me. So I'm going to take that as that you do not agree with me with Mo Harkless. He's I, gotten better and he's returned to Warriors. So everything that you were saying about Nurkic, I'm not saying we're there yet with Mo Harkless, but what I saw with Nurkic was a maturity which he did not have the year before because these guys, remember, are young and he didn't know who he was and he didn't know what his role was and he was still working through that. He had a mentor in Damian Lillard who was able to help him along with that. And I really think that something's been going on with Mo Harkless where he has figured out what his role is and he has been quite successful for the second half of the season. And I know we're always saying, oh, well, you know, great, but show us for an entire, uh, show us that for an entire season. And I'm just going to be happy with what we have right now because it's like what we've always said is as Mo Har- as good as Mo Harkless is, that's how good this team is. And right now, he's shown that he can sustain it, at least. So that's that's, and I really didn't know that it was going to happen. So that's why it's a surprise. He's got to keep the headband on. Absolutely. <laughs> the headband on is the key to that. That headband has magic powers, so I'm all for it. The thing is, you're not joking. No, the, 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 there's there's something about Mo having a bit of a swagger to him. As, as, as old man River here, clickety clack of the floor. The clickety clack you hear is the dog. Dave's toenails on the yeah. <laughs> That was a very sweet Told chocolate you not wow. wearing Arkansas, man. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, Harkless, my frustration, we've talked about this a billion times, is not that he's not a good player. It's that he can and, and has the capacity to be a very solid player, but it's only 20 games a year. And, yeah, and I'm he, saying he's there now. That's great. I would very much rather have it for 60 games than 20. And I'll take it when I can get it, but to, to me, yes, it's nice to have. It's a nice revelation. I'm going to go ahead and take the 16 and 10 from Nurkic. Is the Mo Harkless, Jake Lehman debate effectively over for the rest of the season? No. Uh, as far as, like, who should start? Who should? Minutes, rotation, dependability, who's going to make the impact? Or who starts? You know that was a big that was yeah. a big thing oh, in January. It absolutely was. Has that been decided now in favor of Mo? For me personally, I, I still think Jay's better served coming off the bench. Even with CJ out, I just who when you look at this roster, I'll pose this question to everybody else. When you look at this team, who's the most capable player that can slide in in basically any circumstance two, three, four, and not really be effective? For me, it's Jake Lamb. He's like the most pliable guy up and down this line. So with Harkless, if you if you look at him, do you ever see Harkless come off the bench? Yeah, I don't think you're getting anything out of him. He has to start. Jake can start. Jake can play a different position. Jake can come off the bench. He can not play one night, then play the next. And I don't think it impacts the, the ego of the team. You do that with Harkless, you jerk him around a little bit, you're going to get nothing out of him. He gets a little negative and it pulls some guys down. That's the way I see it. My, my biggest thing, I think where I, I'm firmly on the heartless side of the argument on this, I think it's fed to side. This is Steve Dewey, uh, I'll try to keep remembering that. Uh, I, I think the thing is, is Bruce Harkless, yes, he's playing better right now, but the thing with Jake Lehman is and he's kind of played his way out with the shooting, and some of those easy shots have been taken away. This is something you said earlier this week, is I'm on the scouting report now. The, the alley-oops are gone, and that, that's something that all these players, I think it's, to an extent, is something that Pat Connington experienced last year, too, where all of a sudden you're, you know, you have that third year, the Blazers third year bump, but then you have <laughs> the Blazers, you're on the scouting report, you know, regression. And I think that's something Jake's going through right now. It's not that he can't work through it, but you're not going to get to do all the things you like to do. You're not going to get those confidence-building plays. And it's how he adapts to that is, is going to really decide if this debate opens up again for me. What do you guys think? I think the the uh, the debate is over. Yes, sir. Go ahead, Paul. This is Paul. I I think the debate is over in terms of starting, but uh, one of the things that Coach Stotts has been really great about is uh, not following the same plan throughout the entire game. So who finishes the game is something that depends on who is playing well. And uh, I don't think there is an answer a finished. Uh, answer to the debate on who should finish games, and I don't think there should be. It's who's ever doing the best job, and some days that's going to be Jake. That's okay. Miles again, yeah. I'll throw out a question to you guys. How much of Harkless's earlier season struggles were just part of him still recovering from that injury? 
how much of it was just sort of mental or emotional or I, I ask because I really don't know opinions. Do you have any thoughts on it? <laughs> I think that's a question you're gonna you have to be careful with just yeah. because that that's something that's between the player, the training staff, and and really that's where that that ends. I mean, you can judge if you know if he's lost mobility on the court. This is speed again too. I'm better late than never on my name. But um, I I think that's it. That's a question that is probably something that us on the outside can't really answer. And I think that's what creates some of the problems is that you talk about it's, I mean, we all were the same, had the same face when at media day, oh yeah, no, Mo's not going to be available for for a while. Like, I'm sorry, what? Like, you just, he just went the entire summer and we didn't hear a word about this. So there's, there's, I'm I'm mixed on it at least. And as far as as the the injury side of things, did it impact things? For sure. Is it one of those things that impacted his play entirely? I don't think that's necessarily the case. And that's that's based on the previous evidence we have of him not necessarily being focused and locked in and taking care of the things he needs to take care of on a nightly basis. I think it's interesting because some of it we can we can try to do our best through observation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Dan and I, we've talked about, you know, what uh, he looks like on the bench sometimes when he looks like he's maybe checked out or miserable or whatever. But what I've been noticing lately is while he is on the court, you know, more high fives, more slap in the backs, more engagement with the guys that he's on the court with. And so I think that, um, you know, whether or not, the injury, you know, maybe slowed him down in one way. I think he's also reached another point, like where I said initially about feeling comfortable with, with who he is. And that comes out, you know, with being healthy or it comes out with just reaching a point where he like knows what he's supposed to be. The post all-star break Maurice Sarkos has had more energy and enthusiasm and activity than any given time. With the Blazers. Well, and but last year we talked about, you know, he had a little bit of a push in the better, end. But his energy yeah. now. Right. You, when Mo Harkless is in a game, you should feel it. Mm-hmm. When a six foot eight, two hundred forty pound dude who can run like a deer, get in between passing lanes, finish at the rim with ferocity, you should know when he's in the game. Post All Star break, you know when Mo Harkless is in the game. Last couple of years, he would go. Not just days, but weeks without realizing he's in games. And it's not just a box score, just making a physical impact. And that's to me, has been the biggest change post all Well, and it helps now that also that he has the headband on because you can track him on the field. <laughs> <laughs> Except when he wears the black one, you can't see it because it matches his hair. But like when he wears the white one, I'm like, yes, I can keep track of Mo this whole game. <laughs> Well, so we have a few, uh, there's a few games left in this season. The Blazers look like they're making the playoffs. I don't think there's a, you know, a, a thing there's by their name. magically or mathematically still alive. The Sacramento Kings are that number. And trading is recording, their tragic number is four. So any combination of wins above them and losses by them. But it looks pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> it looks pretty good. So uh, how about, folks, I'd love to hear your uh, preferred Playoff matchup. <laughs> Steve, you look interesting. <laughs> yeah, that was me grimacing off the off the mic. Uh, you guys cannot see it on this podcast. Um, it, it's real. I want to avoid James Harden like the plague. Is my, my main thing. I'll take anything but Harden. Um, you spent too much time covering the Rockets. Yeah, I did spend a little time covering the Rockets, but I also I, I just and Dave's touched on this too when he's talked about the matchup is. I don't want to watch this, a potentially seven-game series with James Harden slowing the game down. Like, I, I think there's so much more entertainment potential with other matchups. And and I really don't like the idea of facing a, a Rockets team that has Chris Paul who looks like he's found the fountain of youth in the last, you know, 20 or so games. Anyone else? This is Miles. I mean, I think... I think I'm trying to think what I would have said last year heading in, but I don't think I would have been that afraid of the Pelicans, and that obviously <laughs> did not turn out super well. Um, so I mean, I guess part of it is just going to depend on how the Blazers play. But I would say the Clippers, because few like a month or so ago they felt like a team that didn't even want to make the playoffs, um, and they don't really have 
that superstar who can take over a game in the same way that, you know, Paul George could or even Mitchell or LaMarcus. So I guess I would say the Clippers. I mean, yeah, dream, dream match in the Clippers. I think everybody's looking like, oh, who's the one team that doesn't have a superstar on this whole mix? And, and has like, a rookie point guard. <laughs> like, it's, the, yeah. the things you can do to take advantage. The only downside is that is you play Patrick Beverly and you might lose a player or two. <laughs> so, uh, but for me, I'm going to go counter to you here. I, I, I get it. Houston is, would not be a fun series as far as watchability. They're going to one five pick and roll you to death. It's going to be five out. It's going to be hell. It's going to be that way the entire game. They're going to play the math every time. They're not going to go away from this. It's what they do, and it's gotten them this far. However, I do not trust James Harden or Chris Paul in a game seven situation, which is what I think the series will ultimately go. There is the counterpoint to this is there is no player in Damian Lillard's career that has his goat more than Chris Paul. Damian Lillard's numbers head-to-head with Chris Paul are tragically bad. They're not like, oh, he can overcome this. They are train wreck bad. And it's one of those things where has Dame found the answer to everything? Because the, the, the Damian Lillard we're watching right now is the best version of himself. The, the, the last demon he has to exercise is Chris Paul, which is kind of why I want to see that matchup. I want to see that elevated play get over that hump, that last hurdle that he needs to conquer, to fully realize, go full Super Saiyan. Oh, beating them is going to be so fun. That's the other thing. <laughs> beating the Rockets would just be... <laughs> Paul or Cassidy or Dave? This is Paul. I just want anybody but the Rockets. <laughs> I hate watching them play. It is so bad. Anybody. Yeah, definitely don't want to see the Rockets in the first round. Um, I don't think I want to see OKC in the first round, based on the season series. But, uh, yeah, I definitely don't want to see the Rockets at all. Well, I see that the Jazz, I've already answered this actually on site, the Jazz for entertainment, that would be, I think that's the closest 50-50 matchup for the Blazers there is. For that reason, it'd be exciting to see. And if they wanted, it would be great tune-up and confidence builder for the second round, as opposed to, for instance, beating the Clippers, which obviously you take if you can, but beating the Clippers is no guarantee that you're going to succeed in the next round. If you beat the Jazz, you feel like you did something, you're you're over the hump. The other one would be, if they have to have a low seed, I think the Nuggets, um, for two reasons. One is, that would be a heck of a matchup, I have three reasons. Two is, I think Portland has a chance of winning that one. If they have to play a really good team or a team that's done really well this year, Denver's the one to play. The third one is, that gets you out of Golden State's bracket. Mm-hmm. So uh, for all those reasons, I think Denver might not be the worst thing that, that can happen, uh, and Utah would be the most fun. And that's the thing with Denver, you've still got two games left against them. This mm-hmm. our, our opinions on that matchup right now probably don't look great. But you win both these games, one at home, one on the road, all of a sudden you're like, I can take Denver to the playoffs. Well, those, those won't matter, though. Yeah, it's I'm, possible those games mean nothing. No, I'm, I'm talking about confidence level, yeah. like yeah. matching up with Denver. Not necessarily seeding, just because right now, I mean, Denver and Utah are two places historically. Portland does not play well. If you get a win in those places, all of a sudden you're feeling pretty good about yourself. I, I think it is Steve. I, I think Denver is an attractive one. I mean, yes, it'd be a lower seed for the for the Blazers, but you also have an unproven head coach in the playoffs, and, and the only guy on there, and Millsap, and, and, and is the experience. only guy who has made a, a somewhat deep run in the playoffs when he was with the Hawks, and and that that's true. But you know, the altitude is real. But I feel like playoff energy and that grind is a, is an equalizer for all teams, even at altitude. Well, and here's the thing about Millsap, too. He's better. He's, he's really, really good, uh, better than any power forward you have. But the Blazers can run a lot of different power forwards at him. Now. They can use Aminu, uh, and they can put in Zach a little bit. They could even go small. And each player provides a different look. No player is adequate. No player is going to stop him. But you just keep running energy, 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 because Portland's secret weapon at power forward is that they don't have one. <laughs> and, uh, and so it almost doesn't it almost doesn't matter what you do there. Uh, all you have to do is keep throwing players out and giving them different looks, and then you won't get equal. But it might not hurt you as much as you think with that mismatch. 
in, to touch on one of your points, I think it's overlooked a lot, is the altitude. Where you do have a little bit of an advantage in the playoffs is there are days in between games. You get to fly there a couple days. It takes 72 hours to get used to it. But if you get into town a couple days earlier, it does give you a little bit. You can still kick your butt, but you can get used to it more than you can during a regular season game where you're just stopping over. This is the new NBA. There are weeks between first round yeah. games. So, you know, they have probably five days between game one and game two now. And you can acclimate without it, right. without it killing it. So that there's a little bit of good news in that sense. And we're sitting here talking ourselves into Denver, which is kind of funny because they're the second probably least likely matchup for one. Well, I mean, it's... It's also, I mean, if Portland does have a successful first round, I mean, the goal would be to face a Denver team Denver in the second, second round. That, that means you've avoided Golden State. Which so. is kind of funny because Golden State's in this weird position right now where all of a sudden you're seeing a little bit of a wound on, on, the, on the big beast. And I don't know, maybe, maybe you, you want to be the one to, to draw the blood. Right, or are they playing possum? Yeah, Portland, I don't think Portland beats Golden State, but I think somebody else can, and then Portland takes advantage. That, that realistically, if you're talking about your past the Western Conference Finals, that's it. You, you beat the team that beats the Warriors. So I'm not sure if I should be taking offense on behalf of the Amino Appreciation Society <laughs> with Dave saying that the Trailblazers <laughs> don't have a power forward. I mean, it's I'm going to think about that for a little while. I mean, all those hours that he has put in, I think we can say that he was actually playing power forward. What you think? Obviously, being being tongue-in-cheek, and they do do suit up somebody at the four every game and substitute in people at the four every game. (laughs) But, for instance, it's night and day different between now and when LaMarcus Aldridge was here, when you knew, obviously, who was going to start there. But... That also means that they're not bound to a four. And this is actually a better situation in a sneaky way, I think, than having a really mediocre four that only plays a certain style and you need them to play that style or you can't survive. Instead, you go up against Millsap's superior ability by just switching up styles and subbing in a new person every 10 minutes or so and just go at them. I mean, if you want to, to find a, a recent example of it, look no further in the business game. Blake Griffin is about as close to a guy in the league, plays Millsap-ish, uh, works as a primary creator. From we, the we call it Millsappy. Millsappy. <laughs> but he, uh, I mean, Blake has kind of morphed himself into that. He's moved away from Showtime Blake Griffin to this playmaking, mid-post, three-point shooting, modern-era Maury Ball big. And I know they're not the same guys. Blake's obviously got a better post game. Millsap is a little bit of a different kind of player, but... Amin got eaten alive by Blake. But it didn't really matter because Amin was getting back on the other end, and all of a sudden the Blazers are throwing a Jake Layman. They're throwing a Maurice Harkless. They're throwing a Zach Collins. Like they're, they're just tossing other guys out there, and they're just getting it back on the other end. What's, what's different about today's NBA, and we've talked about this over the last couple of months, I've evolved from I want that hard-nosed defensive guy every time. I'm willing to abandon the defense and just get buckets on the other end. It's right off. He's a... Look at basketball reference here, because I don't keep Paul Millsap stats on my fingertips. Uh, somewhere between a 70 and 72% foul shooter the last couple of years, he was better three years prior. So, I mean, hack a Millsap. I mean, did you use three players, neutralize his offense, let him dribble it in, let him go into the post, foul him before he shoots? You got different players you put in. I mean, name any star, let alone forward star that the Blazers can face in the Western Conference. Tell me someone that they can adjust for, you know, that would be easier to adjust for than Millsap. But Paul George, no, right? I mean, he kills them. The Rockets basically outside of Chris Paul, James Harden. Right, but I'm talking about a star. Yeah, a star, right. You know, they're they're a weaker forward course, for sure. But if you're going to have to deal with a star, Millsap is not a bad one for them to so we got off on a little tangent about um, about Denver, who maybe is not most likely are no, possible for the first round. We've got a few games coming up against them here pretty quick. But so. yeah, 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 we do. Um, but what I want to ask is how far in the playoffs do you think the Blazers need to make it for them to be not like push the panic button? Because throughout this year, there's been a lot of talk about how if they don't do well in the playoffs, then that's it. They're breaking up the whole whole core. So two things, you know, one is what is good enough 
to uh, perform in the playoffs where we know whether or not. And then the other thing is I just want to bring it up that I am not sure that I'm just, I'm not entirely sure that that's necessarily what's going to happen. Even if they do, I mean, there's meltdowns and then there's getting swept because they are overwhelmed by a better team. And like, I've heard people say like, if they are out of the first round, that's it. This team is blown up. And I just want to put, I just want to put it out there. I'm probably wrong about this, but I want to go on the record as having said it, that I'm not necessarily sure that is necessarily what the case is. So the question is, how, what did the Blazers have to do in the playoffs, do you think, um, in order to preserve the core of the team? I guess the players that they still have, because we have a lot of players who are also coming up for contract, but to preserve the core, Dame, CJ, Nurk. Uh, this is Steve. I think a first-round exit would require the illustrated to deep, dive so deeply into his thesaurus. Bifurcate, so I, I don't think we want we want to see that. For me, obviously you got to get out of the first round, and, and I really think even out That's of the first baseline. baseline, I think after the first round, if you get swept in the second round, I don't think I would think no one would be feel really warm and cozy and safe if they look completely overmatched in the second round. So. Yeah, for me, it's out of the first round and at least look competent in the second round. It look like they can hold their own with the talent base of a second round team. Would be my. This, this is mild. I, I kind of agree with you, Tara. I don't think we necessarily have to get out of the first round. I think it's going to depend on how the Blazers looked. And last year, they looked completely overwhelmed and outmatched. Um, and if they can, if they lose a first round series and it goes seven, and maybe there's a couple bad calls in game seven, and there's an excuse or something, then then you know, maybe that won't it won't blow up the team. It would be interesting if we if the Blazers end up with a first round matchup against OKC. That's another team that should be feeling the same pressure to get out of the first round with two superstars. Didn't get out of the first round last year. Westbrook hasn't gotten out of the first round without Durant. So that might be an interesting matchup because then both teams are feeling the pressure. Cassie here. I think that a lot of this also depends on the fact that we're heading into one of the craziest of all time. <laughs> I mean, it's going to be bonkers. There's a lot of free agents out there. What is it? 40% of players are going to be free agents next in this upcoming free agent season. So I think, I think you have to get out of first round. Um, but I also think that there's a possibility that even if you don't, depending on how things are playing out, it may not be the blow up year. This is Paul. I kind of look at the situation and I'm not sure if there's going to be a huge difference if they do really well or if they don't do well because of all of these weird contract situations they're in. So if they do really well, uh, they are not going to be able to resign all of the people that they might like to resign. And so they're still kind of asking this question of, well, how do we get space to do something to replace these people we're losing? Maybe we have to look at trading CJ or Nurkic or somebody big. If they lose, they're at the same place. They're still asking the question, how do we do something big? And they're looking at trading those same guys. So I'm not sure it makes a big difference, win or lose. And I think that's that's essentially how I see it. Um, there are unmovable realities here. You've got the Cantor, Curry, Hood trio, of which maybe they can re-sign one, depending on what they're willing to do financially. But those three are not coming back together, no matter what happens. It's just not possible. Uh, You've also got the expiring contracts of uh, Harkless and Turner and Myers Leonard. There's no way they can't not shop them. They, no matter what happens, the Blazers are going to try to get rid of those contracts. Uh, I don't. I doubt they'll be able to. I think they've probably tried to do it already. I don't think they're going to be able to because, in addition to free agency. You're going to have a heck of a lot of expiring contracts come up next year because this is the four-year mark after 2016 when everybody issued those four-year contracts to begin with. So neither one of those eventualities is going to depend on playoff performance. Nor do I think Lillard or Nurkic depend either way. I don't see many scenarios in which they move Nurkic. I don't see any in which they move Lillard. So those are essentially set. So who's at stake here? C.J. McCollum, whether you trade him, uh, Aminu, whether you re-sign him and or for how much. 
And even Aminu's situation, he could easily price himself out. He could easily price himself in if he goes really low. And that will a lot depend on him and the market for him rather than playoff performance. So it might be the only person that uh, is affected by this might be how they view CJ. So, I mean, blowing it up, it, it doesn't seem like the right term because to some extent it's going to blow up. To some extent, they're trying like heck to blow it up already. Uh, and to some extent, there are players that will never touch. So really, who gets moved is a very small slice, uh, depending uh, who who has that variance, I should say, is a very small slice. I would agree on pretty much every point that's been made as far as what matters and what doesn't. However, the optics of this whole situation is Terry Stotts has been here for seven years. There's not a playoff series win without an asterisk. We're going, like I said, three years without a playoff win. This is a, for more than anybody, this is about Terry Stotts. Terry Stotts needs this first round series win. He needs to have something of substance in the second round. Because if they're going to hang somebody at the drop, it's not going to be Daniel Miller, and it's not going to be Neil Olshin. Coach always goes first. And there were rumblings a year ago when things were not looking good before last year's trade deadline where things got into a dark, dark timeline where we may not be looking at the same coast the same way. Um, so when I, when I look at this, they have to for their coach. That's an unquestionable reality for me. And I think Olshay gets reevaluated too. I'm not saying he goes, but how can you not? If he can't, let's say the Blazers, who does it? The Blazers can't move expiring contracts. So and they get stuck not being able to make a significant move, and all the gains that they made uh, at the trade deadline end up evaporating. At what point do you then look at the guy who's sitting there behind the curtain holding the levers and go, we have to at least ask some questions about you. Who, who does the evaluation? Is it the Vulcan group? Or? That's up to the Blazers, I would say. But, you know, I, I think Allen was solidly behind Olshay for several reasons. Um, Paul Allen, that is. And, you know, unfortunately, he passed. That leaves it in the hands of Jody, but also a committee. And I think Olshay has never seriously had to deal with a committee that much. I think he had to negotiate Vulcan stuff. I think everybody in that organization does. But you never got the sense that Neil Olshay was beholden to anybody in the Vulcan organization. It was a direct line between him and That... That direct line may exist, but there are other lines going in at some point. Yeah, now, now there's there's a network there. Yeah. You, you've got to deal with, with, with Burkholm and, and the Vulcans and what it means for the business side of things. Because those those contracts, they're not just basketball assets. They're financial assets and what they mean to the, the financial liquidity of the team and how those assets are used going forward to build positive equity in the team. Those things matter, and we still don't have a clear picture of whether or not Joey Allen is going to keep the team long-term. So these things all matter for not just a basketball sense of things, but a business sense of things. It's because to let that 40 plus million dollars worth of, of assets just up and go when you don't have a ready-made way to replace that, that hurts your bottom line. Or the other one, sorry to keep, I'm not trying to monopolize, but it's easy for the Blazers to go the other way, too. It would be so easy for them to luxury tax themselves into oblivion. And the question would be then, for what? And that's, by the way, is going to be the strongest suggestion, both for the team and for Olshay, that this really is working and we need to keep going. Well, that's going to get very expensive, and you better be able to justify exactly why. So there is the, the blowing it up may happen at the executive's, as Dan says, coach level, more than at the team or player level at this point. I just see they have been so committed to this core and they've been so consistent with it. And we're, I feel like we're actually seeing what they've said was going to happen with all these years of continuity. I feel like it's starting to come to fruition and to start all over again when that's been their line the whole time. I just. Three years is a very long time in the NBA. We're, we're, we're getting year four. We're also not seeing continuity though. We're seeing. Ennis Cantor and Rodney Hood and Seth Curry coming in, and finally they got the mix right and the boost right, but they can't keep them. So that's not, to me, that's not continuity. The continuity is what they have without those three. Yeah, I mean, the continuity is Damon, CJ. Right. 
And I mean, and that, that's the whole thing is that that's what people have been talking about for what, five years now? When did you guys first start talking about whether or not Damon and CJ could play together? I mean, that's what I'm talking about. Like, four years. As, as continuity. I, I said no. Is... Four plus years ago. <laughs> well, and to be fair, that hasn't been disproven, no. They've yeah. done really well individually. Well, they've clearly given us lots to talk go. about. I think that it's probably about time for us to wrap it up, but I would I have one final question, and that is going into the season, what was one thing that you were going to look for, and how has it been going? So, like, for me, one of the things that I was looking forward to and I was going to watch for this season was Nurkic Dunks. And because uh, I was I, thought, I was sure that this might be the well, I wasn't sure, but I was wondering if this might be the year where he's figured out that that is the most efficient way for you to get the ball in the bucket. If you are taller than everybody, grab the ball with both hands and then stand up and dunk it in there. And because now we're calling the taco fall. <laughs> so uh, so I've been keeping my eyes on dunks. And for like the first half of the season, he was on pace to like double his dunks. He slowed that way down, but at least at this point, he is surpassing last year's total. So other things that, just like little things that you were going to watch for this year, and how are they turning out for you? This is Miles. Um, I was interested to see uh, the continued development of Zach Collins this year, and that's been a bit of a mixed bag. <laughs> um, he's shown some great flashes on defense. It's been fun to see his instincts there and his footwork, and I love seeing him getting ahead of Clay Thompson. Um uh, but at the same time, his offensive struggle, he's not known what to do with the ball and needs to get stronger. So he's young still, but I've been encouraged by some pieces of what I've seen, and hopefully he'll continue to develop. Cassidy here. I think one of the things that I was definitely looking for was how Evan Turner was going to work with that second string and how that leadership was going to play. And I think that it's played a little bit better than I expected it to. And so that has been a nice... Surprise to watch the season. Uh, not to piggyback too much on Miles, this is Steve. I, in the, the article that went out the first year, I, I was looking for Zach Collins to show any semblance of a post game. <laughs> and and it, it's been it's been a rough year on, on the offensive end as far as Zach Collins' development. I mean, full stop. I mean, he went from being at least showing a sign of maybe being a, a pick and pop able shooter, which the numbers didn't support that, but he at least looked comfortable out there. And I mean, not only is that game starting to dip, and it, I think there's, you can just see he's not as confident in those shots anymore. He shies away from them, and the post game is still not there. I mean, he's getting stood up by guys like Justin Jackson in the Dallas game, where that that stuff is not going to fly if, if that's your position is at center, which it probably was going to be a power forward, how this, how this roster is built. So... That, that's what I've watched. Um, obviously, that changed a little bit when, you know, the second the second unit reinforcements arrived at, at midseason. That's more kind of what I've been watching. And to get back on the what we talked about earlier with Stotts, is I think Stotts for the first time going into a playoff series, barring, you know, any major setbacks or McCollum coming back, he finally has the ability to switch gears in a playoff series. He's never entered... I've never felt the Blazers enter a playoff series where it's like, and we got this little extra year or something you haven't seen before. Like, they've never just had that luxury because they just haven't had the personnel to pull something like that off. And I think if CJ can get back to full strength for the first round, I, I think that's something that I'm definitely watching for to see how Stotts rolls that out in the first round. Stotts having a counter move is a nice one because that, as you said, that's not something that's been there post Marcus. It hasn't been a guy you can call on to come do something. For me personally, well, Speaking of things we talked about coming into the season, and you touched on a little bit with Nurkic's dunks, how does Nurkic get to the guy that Damian Lillard says he can be when he first arrived? He says he can be a 17-11 guy. I laid out two things that Nurkic can do. One, dunk once a game. Up the field goal percentage just a little bit. Because you, you, we all saw the, the raw skill of a 7-foot, 290-pound dude up on his toes like a giant dancing bear, and then just... Lays it in, you're like, no, 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 no. Big fella. They just take that hand, turn it over, throw it down once again. Just put it directly in there. And we, we see it. I'm demonstrating. We see him catching on a roll and eviscerating Darren Calls and the other the Pacers, who made the worst executive decision I've seen in quite some time. Get out of the way, man. You're down 100 pounds. The other one is that we are not talking about this enough. Nurkic going from a 61%, 61% 61 free throw shooter to a near 80% 
free throw shooter. He has been phenomenal at the line. There, to make that leap, to go from a guy who doesn't get to the line, and when it does, isn't good there, to getting to the line five times a game at almost 80%. Also, he's clutch with the free throws. He, he's, he's, I think right now he's Portland's second-best clutch free throw shooter. Like, that's insane. Him and Chief are stepping to the line in game-clinching situations, and I'm more secure with them taking free throws than I am with CJ McCollum. You would take him over Scal BCA, is what you're saying. And Scal intentionally did a wonderful he job. He did a great job on that one. He did exactly what but was asked of him. Isn't that more the, the free throw shooting? Just to touch on this, not to go on a huge tangent, but isn't that. I mean, we saw Ed Davis turn into a serviceable free throw shooter. We saw Mason Plumley turn into a serviceable free yeah. throw shooter. You got a credit but for the staff? The, the coaching staff deserves huge credit for this with some of these sub suboptimal free throw shooters. I think the only one guy who really hasn't. Really turn around his position as Maurice Harkless. I mean, he's still a, a mediocre at best free throw shooter for his position. No, and again, we talk about all the little things that, that happens with the, with this team. And on, on the macro level, for me, outside of, of Nurkic, it's Daniel Lillard. You touched on him earlier, Paul. Having another gear every year, the past three years, I've questioned what else can he add to his game. He's at the point right now where when he has the ball in his hand in a pick and roll situation, it's like he goes into another dimension and time slows for him. Where you see CJ, and this is the difference between CJ and David, and I think they're both fantastic top-tier pick-and-roll point guard or guards. CJ, you see dancing with the ball, left, right, pounding it, getting a guy off rhythm. Dame's taking a rhythm dribble, getting a guy on one side of the pick, and getting downhill. And he does it through the right to left, through the legs dribble, and just a hard, explosive step, and then he goes. And you can see him working things out in his head. This guy's going to come from the weak side. This guy's going to help here. I know where it's going to come, and you can see it in his passing. When I wrote about this past weekend, just that step and a little bit of a pause just to pull somebody a step further in, to set a guy up a little bit clearer, and then just a little wrap pass. Boom. Guy wide open cancel. This is Paul. Uh, the thing I was looking for at the beginning of the year was for CJ to add another high-quality skill. And unfortunately, it just hasn't happened. I love CJ. He can take over games. He is vitally important, but he hasn't done it. I don't know if that was going to be defense or making more assists or getting some key rebounds at important times, but whatever it is, it's, it's just not happening. Next That's year. disappointing. Next year. It's always next year. How about you, Dave? My you want to wrap us up here? Yeah. Quickly, team-oriented, no slow start. Can you bounce back after losses and not go on big streaks? And the start was great. And since the uh, trade deadline, they have not been in significant peril of even going on a losing streak, really. They lost like three in a row at one point. But, hey, that was like that would have been their fifth time that happened in most seasons. And, uh, you know, this was They've been great that way. So I think team-wise, they've done just about everything you could ask. I've said this is the best incarnation of this generation of the Trailblazers that we've ever seen and maybe ever will see. Now this postseason, we get to see how much that matters vis-a-vis -vis the rest of the NBA. And let's just all be so thankful that we have Damian Lillard because, my God, that man. <laughs> what is he in, like, the 16th gear right now? Yeah, I mean, no, he, he's, he, he's, he's averaging 30 and 12 in the last three. Yeah. And, and beyond the stats, I mean, I, make the, I don't make this comparison lightly. The very, very few players, I mean, Michael Jordan, in some ways, Scottie Pippen could do it. There have been a few others that basically expanded their game to whatever space was needed. Remember when Michael Jordan switched to point guard for a year? It was not a great idea for them to do that. But he was a great point guard. He was really good. So, well, I mean, you want me to play center? I can do this, right? Doesn't matter. Damian Lillard hasn't quite got that physical uh, flexibility. But as far as his game as a point guard, as, as a team leader, at this point, you wouldn't doubt that there's anything that he could do, save make the all-defensive team. I mean, that's about the only one that's left. But, hey, again, how much does that matter unless he has – Great defenders around him anyway. It's just not Portland's thing. Jordan belongs, or Jordan, Lillard belongs up there in the pantheon of the greatest Portland players we've ever seen. When you can take a 25, 5, and 5 guy and turn him into a 30, 10, and 5 guy, and it's not 
detrimental to the team. He's actually better. He's more efficient. He's passing better. He's finding more guys. And the team plays better. And the whole team is... Like, that that right there tells you everything you need to know about Damian Lillard as a player and where he sits like this in the Pantheon trophy. And with that, let's go ahead and wrap it up. Let's end on that high note. <laughs> I can drag it back down. <laughs> no, you're deep, but you've done great, Dan. You just stay right there. <laughs> let's go ahead and go around and share how people can find your work, and then we'll head on out. Um, Steve Ewald, you can find me uh, on Fridays after some games, and I'll pop in on random occasions, too. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter, at Steve D. Hoops. I'm Paul Navarre, and... Uh, you can find me on the Blazers website uh, when I do previews under the name AKs. Miles Custis, again, you can also check out my game previews in the rotation, um, and you can find me on Twitter at Miles Custis. And I'm Cassidy, and you can find me at the What Podcast with Tara, and you can find me on Twitter at Cassidy Gemmett, two M's. Two M's, there you go. Well, I'm, I'm Dan Moran with one M, still only one M. Pre and post game on Blazers Outsiders and Sports Northwest. Obviously on Blazers Edge on Saturdays for features and then filling in wherever else on the podcast on every Sunday night with Tara and uh, on all your social media at DMARANG, at D-M-A-R-A-N-G for all of your social media needs. Grant Bubba. And I am at TCB Biggs on Twitter. You can also follow the Hoops and Talks edition of the po- podcast at Hoops and Talks, Cassidy and I do an episode every week of that. And Dave, would you like to take us out of here? Well, I just want to say it doesn't matter so much. If you don't know where to find me, you haven't been looking. Uh, <laughs> you, you could check out the Geek and Greek podcast, actually. That's a more of a personal kind of churchy one. But other than that, I'm around. But I hope that an exercise like this, I mean, this is about, what, a quarter of our staff was here? Yeah. And the depth of thought and analysis that goes on that you don't even get to hear because there's just not space and time. I mean, revelation for you, I hope, for all of us, that just how much work you guys put in and uh, what a resource that the Blazers Edge community is as far as talking about and thinking about this team and this sport. I appreciate each and every one of you and all of you who listen as well. And I think that um, we will be at Blazers Edge Night. If anybody wants to find us, see somebody, we're probably going to be wearing, I don't know, some of us might be wearing our Blazers Edge shirts. Come up and say hi. It's great to meet people who read the blog and who listen to the podcast. Come up and say hi. We would love to meet you. We'll, we'll announce on site what section we're in when I find that out tomorrow. Awesome. Thanks for listening. <laughs>